Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 12. <clears throat> So we're still dealing with the, the repercussions of this pandemic. It seems like uh, war is the news of the day, along with rising prices and dealing with joblessness, and loss of religious freedom. There's lawlessness seemingly more and more. We see prevalent drug use. An overall attack on basic morality and ethics. It's easy to feel hopeless or helpless in our time. Like many children when I was a child, I would uh, read nursery rhymes and one of them was Humpty Dumpty. Remember that one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Uh, Humpty is often uh, depicted in egg form. Uh, Early illustrations from the 1700s uh, have him in that form. And... uh, But that nothing about the poem itself would, would indicate that he was an egg. Uh, it's often thought that that poem was attend, intended to be a riddle and was actually talking about King Richard, who despite his massive army was defeated in 1485. And that kind of reminded me of... Uh, Psalms 20, verse 7, that says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Also, you can look into Isaiah where God tells Israel or Judah, you know, your, your, your chariots and horses aren't going to save you. You are going you are going to be conquered. No matter what we set up to protect ourselves and and we still people still do that everything to build a wall of protection around themselves proverbs says a, a man's wealth is his wall uh, and and we we protect ourselves in various ways maybe by not some people that are very private people they don't share with anybody else as a way to protect themselves Others uh, learn to manipulate others as a way to protect themselves. But now, no matter what people do, all too often people find themselves with their lives shattered and their hearts broken, and nothing on earth can, can help them. They go, maybe this program will help me. And, and it doesn't really help. And, you know, maybe you know these books that are suggested, these self-help books or inspirational books, you know, maybe they'll help me. No, they don't really help. And, 
maybe some form of therapy will help me. No, it doesn't really help. Or maybe if I participate in some cause and, and I'm out there being a part of it, that will help me. No, I still feel broken. Maybe I need to, I need a girlfriend or, or a spouse or, or just need to find some friends, uh, some good buddies, and it doesn't really feel like I can't get from the other people what, what I really need. Maybe it's money. Maybe money, more money would help me. Oh, if I only would win the lottery, right? We have people say that. All my problems would be solved if I just won the lottery. There's so many ways people try to heal from their brokenness. The damage is done by sin, and none of them work except for one, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He demonstrates his compassion for us and his power far above our own to save us. He demonstrates that here in Luke chapter 7, Verse 12. So let's go ahead and begin with that. Actually, let's back up to 11. Soon afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. So he's with this large group of people. And as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. And that's very normal in that time period when a funeral procession started as it was going through the town. If you were at, you know, if you saw that a funeral procession was coming by, you would just join the procession. There's a way of supporting the member who's lost somebody. And this was especially tragic. In this time, interrupting a funeral was a, a blatant breach of Jewish law and custom. Touching the beer exposed, exposed Jesus to a day's uncleanness. A beer is a platform they carried the corpse on. Touching the corpse itself exposed Jesus to a week's uncleanness. But in Jesus' case, the influence goes in the other direction. as we will soon see. People customarily dropped, as I mentioned, customarily dropped whatever they were doing and joined on the funeral procession as it passed by. Notice it says he, uh, it was the only son uh, of his mother. He was likely her only means of support and her hope for the future. So her loss was especially bad. She was just in this state of absolute helplessness. She couldn't save her son. And she couldn't take care of herself. A heartbreaking scenario. The world around us is, is full of sorrow, sickness, and pain, and infirmity, and poverty, and labor, and trouble abound on every side from one end of the world to the other. The history of families is full of lamentation and weeping 
and mourning and woe. And where does it all come from? Well, we know that sin is the fountain and root which all must be traced. If it wasn't for sin, we would have no tears, nor cares, nor illnesses, nor deaths, nor funerals. So here we are in a broken world, and God has called us to live in a broken world. And so we must bear our current state patiently. We can't alternate. We make... We may thank God that there is a remedy in the gospel and that this life isn't all there is. In the meantime, let us lay blame at the right door for whatever is going on wrong in the world. Let us lay blame on sin. We ought to hate sin. Instead of loving it, cleaving to it, dallying with it, excusing it, playing with it, we ought to hate it with a deadly hatred. Sin is the great murderer and thief and pestilence and nuisance of this world. Let us make no peace with it. Let us wage a ceaseless warfare against it. Let it have no part in our life, in our hearts, in our thoughts. Happy is he or she who is of one mind with God and can say, I abhor that which is evil. I've seen personally the, the damages of sin. I've seen... Anger results in in a child losing his ability to walk. I've seen anger resulting in death, personal, and in the death of a loved one. I've seen drug use affect someone's health and cause legal trouble to deal with, and not to mention financial problems. I remember the church my, my dad went to years ago. There was this man, a successful businessman. Had a nice car. They lived, him and his wife lived in a nice place. They, they wore nice clothes. And, and, they, and, and they knew some people in the church. And people tended to trust him because they had known some other people in the church a long time, for a long time. And, and he attended church there for a while. And then at some point, he started talking to people in the church about an investment opportunity. And he had been a business owner. And so everybody's like, yeah, sure, we'll, pay, we'll put in some money for this. It sounds great. And they did that, and the money just disappeared. And come to find out, they were both drug addicts. And all this, all the, the, the nice clothes and, and half was all a facade. They really didn't have any money at all. They were barely making it as they were. I've seen lust destroy marriages. And destroy health. I visited a man 
who grew up in a Mennonite church. And at some point when he was a young man, he rejected God and, and turned away and went into a life of sin. And there he's laying in the bed, dying of AIDS. Sin kills, and we are powerless. But Jesus is not. Amen? I've seen Christ take anger away from somebody, and they become just an absolutely different person, just a radical transformation of heart. I've seen Christ... Heal of, of drug addiction. In fact, one of my former pastors, when, when he got saved and he knew God wanted him to throw out the cigarettes, he just tossed them away and didn't have any significant cravings. Why? Because God healed him. I know of a young lady who was addicted to heroin and got saved and then ended up uh, soon after going back and tried to inject herself with heroin and it didn't do anything. At first, thought the drug dealer had cheated her, and then she realized that God had a part in it, and she never, never went back to heroin again. God healed. <clears throat> the Bible says. In verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't cry. The Bible says the Lord saw this woman, and there's more to this word than just seeing. It is derived from the Greek word, edo, which not only means to see or notice, it indicates involvement. It, it, to see about something, to look into something to interview or examine. Jesus found out what was going on here, what the situation was all about. When he did, he had compassion on her. Our Lord Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His heart is still as compassionate as when he was upon earth. His sympathy, his sympathy still suffers. I'm sorry. His sympathy with sufferers is still as strong. Let's remember this and take comfort in it. There's no friend or comforter who can be compared to Christ in all our days of darkness. There's many, right? Let's turn to Jesus. He will never fail us, never disappoint us, never refuse to take interest in our sorrows. He lives who, who made the widow's heart sing for joy in the gate of name. He lives to receive all laboring and heavy laden ones. 
They will only come to him by faith. He lives to heal the brokenhearted, to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He lives to do uh, greater things than these, than these one day. He lives to come again to his people. Return to us someday. He lives for that, that we, we weep no more. And that all tears will be wiped from our eyes. I just recently watched a documentary on the rescue of the 12, uh, 12 boys and, and a coach, a soccer team in Thailand that had gotten stuck in a cave in 2018. I did not realize the complexity of the situation. They were, they found the, the, the youth, they're all, they're all they're so far okay, uh, but there was uh, more than a mile of underwater cave tunnel. Meanwhile, water was still pouring in, and they had to uh, quickly bring huge pumps that constantly uh, siphoned water out of the cave, but it's like, Turn, opening up your drain and turn the faucet on and hoping the, you know, the water empties. It was a very dangerous situation. In fact, one of the uh, rescuers ended up dying in the process while they were setting everything up and figuring things out. He, there, I, as far as I know, they still don't know exactly what happened, but he just never came out and they found him and he was gone. Complex situation, cave diving, the, the most uh, most dangerous form of diving. Uh, just utter blackness and, and dangers everywhere and very easy to lose your way and get disoriented. And they, they call for international help, including the Air Force pararescue men. And there was this drive, international drive, to, to save these boys and their coach. I think it took 18 days for them to finally rescue them. The boys were given the, the choice to uh, decide who goes first to get out of the cave. And the boys figuring they would have to ride their bikes home, decided that those who had the furthest away to, to, to ride would, uh, would get to go first. Just, you know, I thought of that, and then I also thought when I was a kid, uh, the story of baby Jessica, a little girl who fell in the well, and just this overwhelming response. The whole nation was paying attention. What are we seeing with Thailand and Jessica and, and, and th hundreds or thousands of other cases it just in, in, in my lifetime where people have jumped into things and put their own selves at risk to, to, to save somebody else. 
This is compassion in action. We are moved with compassion at the plight of strangers. And mind you, not everybody, right? Certainly God is moved with compassion when he sees us hurting. And just like those those boys in the cave, each and every one of us at some point in our lives, if not now, were lost in a dark cave of our own. We had no hope, no help. We could not save ourselves. God had compassion on us and rescued us. We use the word save so much, I wonder if it kind of lost its meaning a little bit. When did you get saved? Are you saved? Did you get saved? Is he saved? Or use that term, uh, really coming, has he been converted? But it, it, it implies that I was in need of being saved. I was in a dangerous position at one point, spiritually speaking. I I was in a dangerous position, and I needed to be rescued. Only God could do that. God saved me. At times, the world seems to be an uncaring, unsympathetic place, except a few examples that I gave you. People are often cruel and indifferent, not giving a second thought to the plight of their suffering neighbors, wrapped up in their own interests. They don't seem to notice the anguish and despair that is at the doorstep. This could not be said of Jesus. Time after time, he met the needs of suffering people. Luke 7 tells us about Christ's compassion when he saw the widow stricken with grief over the death of her son. Jesus had compassion on her and and healed the boy. We're going to get to that. Earlier, when when he saw a man with leprosy, he was despised and ostracized, no doubt terribly disfigured. He made him well. Still today, Jesus looks upon human need with compassion. A little girl whose mother had been taken to the hospital was spending the night alone with her father for the first time. Soon after her father turned out the lights, the girl asked quietly, Daddy, are you there? Yes, he assured her. A moment later, she asked, Daddy, are are you looking at me? He said, yes, she fell asleep. Likewise, every child of God can depend on the Savior's look look of love. No matter how painful the problem or deep the sorrow, we know He has His eyes fixed on us. I was thinking about
the hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him from care. He sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Jesus has his eye on you. And knowing that our Savior's compassionate gaze always watches over us should make us loving, caring people. Although the world may turn its eyes from suffering, the Christian following the example of the Savior should be alert to sorrow and quick to respond. Then verse 14, then he came up and touched the open coffin. And the pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. In verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. What Jesus did then, 2,000 years ago, he still does today. Did you know that? Turn kind of a side to um, Ephesians. Chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We call that conviction, the term we use. Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. I was talking to Missy about how I'm reading Confessions of St. Augustine. Uh, Augustine was uh, lived less than 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and he, he talks about, in his, in his book Confessions, talk about during his teenage years, 
how he, he lived in sin and he, and he would go steal stuff just for the fun of it or, and, and involve in, in, in uh, illicit sexual relations. I told Missy, I said, technology changes. People have not changed. It's the same. And so it is the same when, when Paul wrote this in Ephesians. We were by nature children of the wrath as others were also. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace. Together with Christ he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus raised this young man from the dead. He raised each and every one of us from our spiritual death. We were brought to life. And, and, and then later on, if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning with verse 51. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye. The last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, for we will be changed, and we will be changed, for this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed in corruptibility, this mortal is clothed in mortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sunday, I... Maybe some of us might still be alive when Jesus returns, if he returns soon. But if not, if, if, if you end up taking your last breath before Jesus returns, you will be resurrected. Amen. So in verse 15, that we see the dead man set up and began to speak. Someone said a man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in a pit. Pharisees said, only bad people fall into a pit. The fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. The IRS man asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. Charismatic said, just confess that you're not in the pit. Optimist said, things could be worse. The pessimist said, things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a pit, I want Jesus to come by. In verse 16, then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. 
They recognized something special about Jesus, but sadly failed to recognize him as God. They failed to see that it was God himself that worked in their midst. I wonder how often that worked in our lives and we failed to see it. Kind of reminds me of, of 2 Kings, take note of the version. Second Kings chapter six. Beginning with verse eight. Let's set the stage. Uh, verse eight, when the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, My camp will be at such and such a place. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Be careful passing by this place for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aaron was enraged because of this matter, and he called his servants and demanded them, Tell me which one of you is for the king of Israel. And said, No, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, Go and see where he is, so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, Alabama, probably not. He sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. Night and surround the city. When the, uh, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surround the city. Can you imagine waking up to that? That'd be a little unnerving, right? This massive, clearly enemy force is set up against you. And so then he asked Elisha, Oh, my master, what, do we, what are we to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's so much more going on in our lives that we, that we can see. Just because you can't see God working in your life, don't think that He is not. And if you need to pray that God give you eyes to see, that God help you see where His hand of providence is in the circumstances you're going through, because I'm telling you, God is, is working things and you have no idea what it is. Lord, give us eyes to see you working in our midst. They didn't see that he was God. We have that problem now. 
Jesus is not just a moral example for us to follow. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He is God. He didn't just teach us the way to live. He is the way. He didn't just share truth with us. He is the truth. He didn't just want to improve our lives. He is the life. He is life. Jesus is God. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us. He's in heaven right now advocating for us. And someday he will come back to us. Verse 17, this report about him went throughout Judea and all of the vicinity. So they reported that he healed somebody. Whatever's going through in your life, whatever challenges you're facing, Remember, God's on your side. He wants you to do well. Look to Him. And if you're starting to stress out, it's most likely because you're concerned about things that are really not in your domain. They belong to God. So think about that. Leave your cares in Him. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself, Finding Joy in All Circumstances. Few of us realize the impact uh, our thoughts have on our daily lives, how it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through this very short, easy to read book. I go through what the Bible says about it, how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So to, if you're interested, go check it out on Ken, uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for Stop Poisoning Yourself by Daryl Underwood. Enjoy your week. Have a wonderful day.